Chapter Two, Part Two of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Deluge, Volume Two by Heinrich Schenkewitz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter Two, Part Two meanwhile a fresh event brought the besieged to despair stefan charnyetski in surrendering krakow had obtained the condition of going out with all his troops and remaining with them in silesia till the end of the war seven hundred infantry of those troops of the royal guard under command of colonel wolf were near the boundary and trusting in stipulations were not on their guard count vihard persuaded miller to capture those men Miller sent Count Vihard himself, with two thousand cavalry, who, crossing the boundary at night, attacked those troops during sleep, and captured them to the last man. When they were brought to the Swedish camp, Miller commanded to lead them around the wall, so as to show the priests that the army from which they had hoped succor would serve especially for the capture of Chenstohova. The sight of that brilliant guard of the king dragged along the walls was crushing to the besieged, for no one doubted that Miller would force them first to the storm. Panic spread again among the troops of the cloister. Some of the soldiers began to break their weapons and exclaim that there was help no longer, that it was necessary to surrender at the earliest. Even the hearts of the nobles had fallen. Some of them appeared before Kerdetsky again with entreaties to take pity on their children, on the sacred place, on the image, and on the congregation of monks. The courage of the prior and Pan Zamoyski was barely enough to put down this movement. But Kordetsky had the liberation of the imprisoned fathers on his mind first of all, and he took the best method, for he wrote to Miller that he would sacrifice those brothers willingly for the good of the church. Let the general condemn them to death. All would know in future what to expect from him and what faith to give his promises. Miller was joyful, for he thought the affair was approaching its end but he did not trust the words of Kordetsky at once, nor his readiness to sacrifice the monks. He sent therefore one of them, Father Blashinsky, to the cloister, binding him first with an oath to explain the power of the Swedes and the impossibility of resistance. The monk repeated everything faithfully, but his eyes spoke something else, and concluding he said, But prizing life less than the good of the congregation, I am waiting for the will of the council and whatsoever you decide i will lay before the enemy most faithfully they directed him to say the monks are anxious to treat but cannot believe a general who imprisons envoys next day the other envoy of the fathers came to the cloister and returned with a similar answer after this both heard the sentence of death the sentence was read at miller's quarters in presence of the staff and distinguished officers all observed carefully the faces of the monks curious to learn what impression the sentence would make and with the greatest amazement they saw in both a joy as great as unearthly as if the highest fortune had been announced to them the pale faces of the monks flushed suddenly their eyes were filled with light and father malachowski said with a voice trembling from emotion ah why should we not die today since we are predestined to fall a sacrifice for our lord and the king miller commanded to lead them forth straight away the officers looked at one another at last one remarked a struggle with such fanaticism is difficult the prince of hesha added only the first christians had such faith 
is that what you wish to say then he turned to count vihard pan vihard said he i should be glad to know what you think of these monks i have no need to trouble my head over them answered he insolently the general has already taken care of them then sadovsky stepped forward to the middle of the room stood before miller and said with decision your worthiness do not command to execute these monks but why not because there will be no talk of negotiations after that for the garrison of the fortress will be flaming with vengeance and those men will rather fall one upon the other than surrender wittemberg will send me heavy guns your worthiness do not do this deed continued sadovsky with force they are envoys who have come here with confidence i shall not have them hanged on confidence but on gibbets the echo of this deed will spread through the whole country will enrage all hearts and turn them away from us give me peace with your echoes i have heard of them already a hundred times your worthiness will not do this without knowledge of his royal grace you have no right to remind me of my duties to the king but i have the right to ask for permission to resign from service and to present my reasons to his royal grace i wish to be a soldier not an executioner the prince of hesha issued from the circle in the middle of the room and said ostentatiously give me your hand pan sadovsky you are a gentleman a noble and an honest man what does this mean roared miller springing from his seat general answered the prince of hesha i permit myself to remark that pan sadovsky is an honorable man and i judge that there is nothing in this against discipline miller did not like the prince of hesha but that cool polite and also contemptuous manner of speaking special to men of high rank imposed on him as it does on many persons of low birth miller made great efforts to acquire this manner but had no success he restrained his outburst however and said calmly the monks will be hanged tomorrow that is not my affair answered the prince of hesha but in that event let your worthiness order an attack on those two thousand poles who are in our camp for if you do not they will attack us even now it is less dangerous for a swedish soldier to go among a pack of wolves than among their tents this is all i have to say and now i permit myself to wish you success when he had said this he left the quarters miller saw that he had gone too far but he did not withdraw his orders and that same day gibbets were erected in view of the whole cloister at the same time the soldiers taking advantage of the truce pushed still nearer the walls not ceasing to jeer insult blaspheme and challenge whole throngs of them climbed the mountain stood as closely together as if they intended to make an assault that time kmita whom they had not chained as he had requested did not in fact restrain himself and thundered from a cannon into the thickest group with such effect that he laid down in a row all those who stood in front of the shot that was like a watchword for at once without orders and even in spite of orders all the cannons began to play muskets and guns thundered the swedes exposed to fire from every side fled from the fortress with howling and screaming many falling dead on the road charnyetski sprang to kmita do you know that for that the reward is a bullet in the head i know all one to me let me be in that case aim surely kmita aimed surely soon however he missed a great movement rose meanwhile in the swedish camp but it was so evident that the swedes were the first to violate the truce that miller himself recognized in his soul that the besieged were in the right 
what is more kmita did not even suspect that with his shots he had perhaps saved the lives of the fathers but miller because of these shots became convinced that the monks in the last extremity were really ready to sacrifice their two brethren for the good of the church and the cloister the shots beat into his head this idea also that if a hair were to fall from the heads of the envoys he would not hear from the cloister anything save similar thunders so next day he invited the two imprisoned monks to dinner and the day after he sent them to the cloister kordetsky wept when he saw them all took them in their arms and were astonished at hearing from their mouths that it was especially owing to those shots that they were saved the prior who had been angry at kmita called him at once and said i was angry because i thought that you had destroyed the two fathers but the most holy lady evidently inspired you this is a sign of her favor be rejoiced dearest beloved father there will be no more negotiations will there asked kmita kissing kordetsky's hands but barely had he finished speaking when a trumpet was heard at the gates and an envoy from miller entered the cloister this was pan kuklinovsky colonel of the volunteer squadron attached to the swedes the greatest ruffians without honor or faith served in that squadron in part dissidents such as lutherans arians calvinists whereby was explained their friendship for sweden but a thirst for robbery and plunder attracted them mainly to miller's army that band made up of nobles outlaws fugitives from prison and from the hands of a master of attendants and of gallow birds snatched from the rope was somewhat like kmita's old party save in this that kmita's men fought as do lions and those preferred to plunder offer violence to noble women break open stables and treasure chests but kuklinovsky himself had less resemblance to kmita age had mixed gray with his hair he had a face dried insolent and shameless his eyes which were unusually prominent and greedy indicated violence of character he was one of those soldiers in whom because of a turbulent life and continuous wars conscience had been burned out to the bottom a multitude of such men strolled about in that time after the thirty years war through all germany and poland they were ready to serve any man and more than once a mere simple incident determined the side on which they were to stand country and faith in a word all things sacred were thoroughly indifferent to them they recognized nothing but war and sought in it pleasure dissipation profit and oblivion of life but still when they had chosen some side they served it loyally enough and that through a certain soldier robber honor so as not to close the career to themselves and to others such a man was kukulinovsky stern daring and immeasurable stubbornness had won for him consideration among the disorderly it was easy for him to find men he had served in various arms and services he had been at a man in the sage he had led regiments in Wallachia. in germany he had enlisted volunteers in the thirty years war and had won a certain fame as a leader of cavalry his crooked legs bent in bow fashion showed that he had spent the greater part of his life on horseback he was thin as a splinter and somewhat bent from profligacy much blood shed not in war only weighed upon him and still he was not a man wholly wicked by nature he felt at times nobler influences but he was spoiled to the marrow of his bones and insolent to the last degree frequently had he said in intimate company in drink more than one deed was done for which the thunderbolt should have fallen but it fell not the effect of this impunity was that he did not believe in the justice of god and punishment not only during life but after death in other words he did not believe in god 
Still, he believed in the devil, in witches, in astrologers, and in alchemy. He wore the Polish dress, for he thought it most fitting for cavalry, but his mustache, still black, he trimmed in the Swedish fashion, and spread at the ends turned upward. In speaking he made every word diminutive like a child. This produced a strange impression when heard from the mouth of such a devil incarnate and such a cruel ruffian, who was ever gulping human blood. He talked much and boastingly. Clearly he thought himself a celebrated personage, one of the finest cavalry colonels on earth. Miller, who, though on a broader pattern, belonged himself to a similar class, valued him greatly, and loved especially to seat him at his own table. At that juncture Kuklanovsky forced himself on the general as an assistant, guaranteeing that he would, with his eloquence, bring the priests to their senses at once. Earlier, when, after the arrest of the priests, Pan Samoyski was preparing to visit Miller's camp and asked for a hostage, Miller sat Kuklanovsky but Zamoyski and the prior would not accept him as not being of requisite rank. From that moment, touched in his self-love, Kuklinovsky conceived a mortal hatred for the defenders of Yasnogora, and determined to injure them with all his power. Therefore he chose himself as an embassy, first for the embassy itself, and second so as to survey everything and cast evil seed here and there. Since he was long known to Charnyetsky, he approached the gate guarded by him, but Charnyetsky was sleeping at the time. Kamita, taking his place, conducted the guest to the council hall. Kuklinovsky looked at Pan Andrei with the eye of a specialist, and at once he was pleased not only with the form but the bearing of the young hero, which might serve as a model. A soldier, said he, raising his hand to his cap, knows at once a real soldier. I did not think that the priests had such men in their service. What is your rank, I pray? In Kamita, who had the zeal of a new convert, the soul revolted at the sight of Poles who served Swedes. Still he remembered the recent anger of Kordetsky at his disregard of negotiations. Therefore he answered coldly but calmly, I am Babinich, former colonel in the Lithuanian army, but now a volunteer in the service of the Most Holy Lady. And I am Kuklinovsky, also colonel, of whom you must have heard, for during more than one little war men mentioned frequently that name and this sabre, here he struck at his side, not only here in the commonwealth but in foreign countries. With the forehead, said Kamita, I have heard. Well, so you are from Lithuania, and in that land are famous soldiers. We know of each other, for the trumpet of fame is to be heard from one end of the world to the other. Do you know there, worthy sir, a certain Kamita? The question fell so suddenly that Pan Andrei was as if fixed to the spot. But why do you ask of him? Because I love him, though I know him not, for we are as alike as two boots of one pair, and I always repeat this, with your permission, there are two genuine soldiers in the Commonwealth, I in the Kingdom, and Kmita in Lithuania. A pair of dear doves, is that not true? Do you know him personally? Would to God that you were killed, thought Kamita, but remembering Kuklinovsky's character of envoy, he answered aloud, I did not know him personally, but now come in, for the council is waiting. When he had said this, he indicated the door through which a priest came out to receive the guest. Kuklinovsky entered the chamber with him at once, but first he turned to Kamita. It would please me, said he, if at my return you and none other were to conduct me out. I will wait here, answered Kamita and he was left alone. After a while he began to walk back and forth with quick steps, his whole soul was roused within him, and his heart was filled with blood. 
black from anger. Pitch does not stick to a garment like evil fame to a man, muttered he. This scoundrel, this wretch, this traitor calls me boldly his brother, and thinks he has me as a comrade. See to what I have come. All gallows-birds proclaim me their own, and no decent man calls me to mind without horror. I have done little, yet little. If I could only give a lesson to this rascal, it cannot be but that I shall put my score on him. The council lasted long in the chamber. It had grown dark. Kmita was waiting yet. At last Kuklinovsky appeared. Pan Andrei could not see the colonel's face, but he inferred from his quick panting that the mission had failed, and had been also displeasing, for the envoy had lost desire for talk. They walked on then for some time in silence. Kmita determined meanwhile to get at the truth, and said with feigned sympathy, "'Surely you are coming with nothing. Our priests are stubborn, and between you and me they act ill, for we cannot defend ourselves forever.' Kuklinovsky halted and pulled him by the sleeve. "'And do you think that they act ill? You have your senses. Those priests will be ground into bran, I guarantee that. They are unwilling to obey Kuklinovsky. They will obey his sword.' You see, it is not a question of the priests with me, said Kmita, but of this place, which is holy, that is not to be denied, but which the later it is surrendered, the more severe must the conditions be. Is what men say true, that through the country tumults are rising, that here and there they are slashing the Swedes, and that the Khan is marching with aid? If that is true, Miller must retreat. I tell you in confidence, a wish for Swedish broth is rising in the country, likely in the army as well, that is true. They are talking of the Khan also, but Miller will not retreat. In a couple of days heavy artillery will come. We'll dig these foxes out of their hole, and then what will be, will be. But you have sense. Here is the gate, said Kmita. Here I must leave you, unless you wish me to attend you down the slope. Attend me, attend me. A couple of days ago you fired after an envoy. Indeed, what do you mean? Maybe unwillingly, but better attend me. I have a few words to say to you. And I to you. That is well. They went outside the gate and sank into the darkness. Here Kuklinovsky stopped, and taking Kmita again by the sleeve began to speak. You, Sir Cavalier, seem to me adroit and foreseeing. Besides, I feel in you a soldier blood and bone. What the devil do you stick to priests for and not to soldiers? Why be a serving lad for priests? There is a better and pleasanter company with us, with cups, dice, and women. Do you understand? Here he pressed Kmita's arm with his fingers. This house, continued he, pointing with his finger to the fortress, is on fire, and a fool is he who flees not from a house when tis burning. Maybe you fear the name of traitor? Spit on those who would call you that. Come to our company. I, Kuklinovsky, propose this. Obey if you like. If you don't like, obey not. There will be no offense. General Miller will receive you well, I guarantee that. You have touched my heart, and I speak thus from good wishes. Ours is a joyous company. Joyous. A soldier's freedom is in this, to serve whom he likes. Monks are nothing to you. If a bit of virtue hinders you, then cough it out. Remember this also, that honest men serve with us. How many nobles, magnates, hetmans! What can be better? Who takes the part of our little Casimir? No man, save Sepieha alone, who is bending Radzivill. Kmita grew curious. Did you say that Sepieha is bending Radzivill? 
i did he is troubling him terribly there in podlyasi and is besieging him now in tychostin but we do not disturb him why is that because the king of sweden wants them to devour one another radzivill was never reliable he was thinking of himself besides he is barely breathing whoever lets himself be besieged is in a fix he is finished will not the swedes go to succor him who is to go the king himself is in prussia for there lies the great question the elector has wriggled out hitherto he will not wriggle out this time in great poland is war wittenberg is needed in krakow douglas has work with the hillmen so they have left radzivill to himself let sepyeha devour him sepyeha has grown that is true but his turn will come also our karl when he finishes with prussia will twist the horns of sepyeha now there is no power against him for all lithuania stands at his side but jemud pontus de Ligardi holds that in his paws and heavy are the paws i know him how is it that radzivill has fallen he whose power was equal to that of kings it is quenching already quenching wonderful are the ordinances of god the wheel of war changes but no more of this well what do you make up your mind to my proposition you'll not be sorry come to us if it is too hurried to-day think till to-morrow till the day after before the heavy artillery comes these people here trust you evidently since you pass through the gate as you do now or come with letters and go back no more you attract others to the swedish side for you an envoy of sweden said kmita does not beseem you to act otherwise though in your soul who knows what you think there are those who serve the swedes but wish them ill in their hearts words of a cavalier answered kuklanovski that i speak sincerely and not because i am filling the function of an envoy outside the gate i am no longer an envoy and if you wish i will remove the office of envoy of my own will and speak of you as a private man throw that vile fortress to the devil do you say this as a private man yes and may i give answer to you as a private man as true as life i propose it myself then listen pan kuklanovski here kmita inclined and looked into the very eyes of the ruffian you are a rascal a traitor a scoundrel a crab-monger an arch-cur have you enough or shall i spit in your eyes yet kuklanovski was astounded to such a degree that for a time there was silence what is this how is this do i hear correctly have you enough you cur or do you wish me to spit in your eyes kuklanovski drew his saber but kmita caught him with his iron hand by the wrist twisted his arm wrested the saber from him then slapped him on the cheek so that the sound went out in the darkness seized him by the other side turned him in his hand like a top and kicking him with all his strength cried to a private man not to an envoy kuklanovski rolled down like a stone thrown from a ballista pan andrei went quietly to the gate the two men parted on the slope of the eminence hence it was difficult to see them from the walls but kmita found waiting for him at the gate kordetsky who took him aside at once and asked what were you doing so long with kuklanovski i was entering into confidence with him answered pan andrei what did he say he said it was true concerning the khan praise be to god who can change the hearts of pagans and make friends out of enemies he told me that great poland is moving praise be to god that the quarter soldiers are more and more unwilling to remain with the swedes that in podlyasi the vovoda of vityabisk sapieha has beaten the traitor radzivill and that he has all honest people with him 
as all lithuania stands by him except jemud which de lagardi has taken praise be to god have you had no other talk with each other yes kuklinovski tried afterward to persuade me to go over to the swedes i expected that said the prior he is a bad man and what did you answer you see he told me revered father as follows i put aside my office of envoy with which out that is finished beyond the gates and i persuade you as a private man and i to make sure asked may i answer as to a private man he said yes then what then then i gave it to him in the snout and he rolled downhill in the name of the father son and holy ghost be not angry father i acted very carefully and that he will not say a word about the matter to any man is certain the priest was silent for a time then said that you acted honestly i know i am only troubled at this that you have gained a new enemy he is a terrible man one more one less said kmita then he bent to the ear of the priest but prince boguslav he at least is an enemy what is such a kuklinovsky I don't even look back at him. End of chapter 2, part 2.